Now we're looking at this formation of the universe. Time, space, and matter all come into existence at the same time. That's exactly what you would expect if you just read the very first words of Scripture, which are this. Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, time, God created the heavens, space, and the earth, matter. Good evening, everybody. Um, if you got here a little bit late, um, let me just share a couple of things with you. One, that big table of t-shirts out there, those are free, please take one. Um, and also, uh, our Good Friday service, we're gonna be hosting the programming. I forgot to mention this in the beginning, but we're gonna have a few scripture readings. If you would like to volunteer for that, please let me know. All right, so we are starting a new series this week called I'm Not Sorry, But I Do Apologia. Meaning we're going to be talking about apologetics, defending our faith. And as you saw from the video played earlier, we're talking about the fine-tuning argument. All that is doing is setting the stage for this is the universe we live in. The universe we live in is clearly finely tuned. It is designed it is made specifically for life to exist. This is our home. The universe, the Milky Way galaxy, the solar system, Earth, our home is strange and unlikely. We live in a finely tuned place that happens to support life against all odds. The force of gravity, the cosmological constant, the expansion rate of the universe, mass of the electron, the strong nuclear force, to name a few things, just happen to be in the exact right range to permit life. They also had to have been set perfectly from the moment the universe came into existence or we and our home does not exist. Our home is strange. We are strange. You might look at me and go, Obviously. <laughs> but we are strange. We are beings in that finely tuned universe who remarkably have consciousness. We can contemplate our existence. We have a moral compass and the ability to create, observe, and discover this home that we live in. And it just happens to be in the right place within the universe to do so. This reality begs the question that we desire to understand. What is the meaning of life? Where did it all come from? Is God real? And who is he? Those are the types of questions we will seek to answer in this series. I'm not sorry, but I do. Apologia. Apologia is the Greek word for defense. It is coined the term apologetics, which is to give a defense of your faith. And that is what we will be doing through this series as we are commanded to in Scripture. 1 Peter 3, uh, 13 through 16 states this, Who is going to harm you? If you are eager to do good, but 
Even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you. To give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Keep a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. And so we're commanded to always be prepared to give an answer or a defense of the faith that we have, why we believe it, but to do so in such a way that it's hard to speak negatively about you. So let's begin our defense. Is it true what Paul writes? We just went through the book of Romans together as a church, and in the very first chapter, Paul writes this in Romans 1, 18 through 23. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their, sinking, their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. So even though, as Paul states in Romans 1, that God is made clear through the very things he created, man has given up the worship of God for the worship of the creation itself and made idols to that creation. Is that true? We shouldn't have an excuse. We are aware of his existence simply by what he has made, simply by nature. I think it's true, and I think the more we have learned, the less excuse we have. In ancient times, the world was obviously ordered and designed. It was apparent. There are four seasons that were dependent upon for agriculture, and life. You navigated by the stars and you knew where you were in the monthly cycles because of the moon and the lunar cycles. Everything comes from something and so nobody thought that the world came from nothing. Order and design implies a designer, but let's look at our modern view of the world, one where in fact a large facet believes everything came from nothing. The cosmological argument goes like this. Everything that begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist, therefore, the universe must have a cause. It's a simple idea, but we need to unpack it because modern scientific ideas of the universe having a beginning are not very old. The expansion of the universe was discovered in 1929 by Edwin Hubble. 
and the background radiation and remnant heat that gave the Big Bang Theory the idea that the universe came from a simple starting singular point got its smoking gun in 1965. So what does the evidence say about the first cause? We've only known that the universe had a beginning scientifically, really confirmed since 1965. But the evidence shows us that the universe has a cause. So the cause itself cannot be the universe. The universe didn't produce life. The universe didn't produce itself. It can't be a natural answer because there was no nature from which to draw from in order to create itself. So here's a little help from Dr. Frank Turek. You're going to hear his name a lot as we go through this series. He's an apologist who offers an acronym to help us defend the idea that the universe had a beginning. The acronym is SURGE, S-U-R-G-E. If you're writing that in your notes, I'm going to repeat it. S-U-R-G-E, SURGE. The S stands for the second law of thermodynamics, which states that the universe is running down. As Dr. Turek puts it, he says, if the universe is running down, someone must have wound it up. Because if the universe was eternal or had always existed, it would have run out of energy by now. The U is for the universe is expanding. Edwin Hubble detected that in 1929 when he looked through a telescope and he had noticed the red shift, meaning that everything in the universe that he was looking at through his telescope, all of the light tinted red, meaning that the wavelength was long and getting longer because the universe was expanding, which by just sheer logic means that the universe at one point was smaller down to a singular point. R stands for radiation afterglow. This is the remnant heat that was discovered by Penzias and Wilson in 1965. This is the smoking gun for the Big Bang Theory. This is the universe suddenly came into existence. And in that moment, in that time, when the universe came into existence, it was so intense and so hot that practically what existed was light. And the heat and the background heat was discovered in 1965. The G stands for great galaxy seeds, which in that background radiation, in that heat, they found very fine temperature variations in the radiation afterglow. And those, tempor those uh, temperature variations allowed the galaxies to form in the early universe. And the E stands for Einstein's theory of general relativity, which shows that time, space, and matter are co-relative and came into existence together or simultaneously, space, time, and matter had a beginning, and that beginning was the beginning of the universe. And Frank Turek goes on to point out that the evidence points to the fact that the universe is not the uncaused first cause. So what is? I'm going to continue quoting from him because he gives us some really good insights. If the universe came into existence at a single point, that that means that space, time, and matter are what popped into existence. So the cause for the beginning of the universe must be 
if the universe is made of space, time, and matter, the thing outside of the universe that created the universe must be spaceless because it created space, timeless or eternal because it created time, immaterial, or another word for that is spiritual, because it created matter, powerful because it created out of nothing, intelligent because the creation event and the universe was precisely designed, and personal because it made a choice to convert a state of nothing into something. Impersonal forces don't make choices. These are the same attributes the Bible claims of God, which is one reason the God of the Bible is who I believe is the first cause, the uncaused cause. Now, if you're interested in learning more or digging into some of what Frank Turk has to say, he has a podcast called Cross-Examined, a YouTube channel called Cross-Examined, um, and he wrote several books such as Stealing from God and I Do Not Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Great book. Now we're looking at this formation of the universe. Time, space, and matter all come into existence at the same time. That's exactly what you would expect if you just read the very first words of Scripture, which are this. Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning time, God created the heavens, space, and the earth, matter. It's exactly what you would expect. What's more interesting is the formation of these things might give us a hint at what God is. Time is past, present, and future. Space is height, width, and depth, and matter is solid, liquid, and gas. Interesting that what popped into existence was a trinity of trinities. Now a universe has been created. It seems clear that the evidence points to a creator, a designer, that can sustain life in the universe he created. But you still have problems to account for. According to cosmologist Guillermo Gonzalez and philosopher Jay Richards in their book, The Privileged Planet, you need a planet inside that universe to have the right core to create a strong enough magnetic field to shield from the star's radiation that it orbits so that life can be sustained on that planet. That planet needs to be the right size at the right distance from the star it orbits to be properly heated. The planet needs to have the right size moon orbiting it at the right distance for stabilization. And it would help if that planet was shielded from cosmic activity, asteroids, comets, etc., uh, by having larger planets with greater gravitational pull also in its solar system. The star that it orbits, uh, that these planets orbit, itself needs to be the right size at the right stage to provide the right amount of heat and should be placed in the right spot in the galaxy and needs to have a stable orbit around the galaxy to avoid radiated heat 
uh, star-forming areas of the galaxy where life cannot exist, which also happen to give life on such a planet the best place not only to exist, but to observe and discover the universe it exists in. It's almost like it was created by a designer who wanted you to see him. Like Romans 1 states, where at the end of that video, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. If you look up, you should see God. But even if you have a universe that can sustain life and you have a planet that's the right size with the right core in the right space in the right distance away from the star that's the right size and in the right place in the galaxy you still have problems you have to account for where did life come from just because you have a universe that can sustain life that does not tell you how life came to be where did life come from this what I'm about to read to you is the opening statement from Dr. James Tour. He is a world-renowned scientist who specializes in organic chemistry, specifically synthetic organic chemistry, where they look to create proteins and molecules and cells. He is perfect, according to him, he is perfectly situated to understand the origin of life problem that exists. And this is an open letter he wrote to his colleagues and challenged them to correct him. This is what he wrote. Life should not exist. This much we know from chemistry. In contrast to the ubiquity of life on Earth, the lifelessness of other planets makes far better chemical sense. Synthetic chemists know what it takes to build just one molecular compound. The compound must be designed, the stereochemistry controlled, yield optimization, purification, and characterization are needed, and elaborate supply is required to control synthesis from start to finish. None of this is easy. Few researchers from other disciplines understand how molecules are synthesized. Synthetic constraints must be taken into account when considering the prebiotic preparation of the four classes of compounds needed for life. The amino acids, the nucleotides, the saccharides, and the lipids. The next level beyond synthesis involves the components needed for the construction of nanosystems, which are then assembled into a microsystem. So you have these tiny nanosystems that come together to form a microsystem, Composed of many nanosystems, the cell is nature's fundamental microsystem. If the first cells were relatively simple, they would, still they would still be required to have at least 256 protein coding genes. This requirement alone is as close to an absolute certainty as we find in synthetic, in synthetic chemistry. A bacterium which encodes 1,354 proteins contains one of the smallest genomes currently known. If that was hard for you to follow, I don't blame you. Here's my summary as best as I can make of it. Basically, our understanding of the origin of life is that it seems impossible. 
the more we learn about the simplest single cells is that they are incredibly complex. And we continue to get further from understanding how life popped into existence through organic chemistry, the more we learn about a single cell itself. So, and the function of the cells and information are the building block of life, as it were, as is DNA, which itself acts like a computer software code, only far more complex. It directs function, and much like the alphabet or code needs to be in correct order to give functionality to proteins and for the cell to divide correctly. So in order for the cell to function, you need to have the building block of life, which is DNA, which is information and a language that needs to be in specific order in order to give good functions. This is what Dr. Stephen Meyer has said about this. The information contained in an English sentence or computer software does not derive from the chemistry of the ink or the physics of the magnesium, but from a source extrinsic to physics and chemistry altogether. Indeed, in both cases, the message transcends the properties of the medium. The information in DNA also transcends the properties of its material medium. In other words, Information comes from a mind. And in the case of DNA, which is the building block of life, is an intelligent mind. This is God. This is what's stated in Scripture. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. You saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book. Before one of them came to be, how precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Clearly written in scripture, we are knit together in a womb. DNA is the building block of life. It is the information that causes the cells to divide and build upon itself, much like the intricate design you see of someone crocheting or knitting as it builds on itself. Order and design against all odds point us to a creator. Who is the creator? John 1 verses 1 through 5 states this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So the creator, according to scripture, is the savior. It's Jesus. The word, the word became flesh in verse 14 and made his dwelling among us. 
We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus, through whom all things were made, came in the flesh so that he could pay the debt that we owe. The debt of our sin against our creator. We were created in his image, but we stained that image with sin. The cross pays that debt and lifts the stain. The resurrection gives us new life. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for being someone who's evident. Thank you for being someone who doesn't hide and gives us answers. Thank you for your word that points us to exactly what we should expect in the universe we live in. And thank you for putting us in a place where we can observe the heavens that speak your glory. Thank you for the beauty that exists. Help us to submit ourselves to you, to recognize you are the creator and the evidence points in that direction. That we can submit to you because we have no excuse. Give us new life and help us to share that new life opportunity with a world that rejects you. In Jesus' name, amen.